Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Finding Dad Bod, where my dad, Coach Alex Van Houten, posts his 14 years of experience to work for you. You should listen to him. He's pretty beast mode. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day. What's up, guys? This is Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. You're listening to Season 3, Episode 18 of Defining Dad Bod, where, with my oldest son Gabriel's help, we'll be revisiting insulin. Two and a half years ago, we published on Defining Dad Bod the Overcoming Obesity series, where we walk through what we call the hormone pyramid and how our hormones are related to improving our body composition. That is, reducing the amount of body fat that we have and increasing the amount of muscle mass we have. I know it sounds simple. It's not simple. But with my five-year-old's help, we're revisiting the subject and maybe we can all learn something together from the mouth of babes. This episode will be an interesting mix of the science and the humorous and enlightening point of view of a child. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. The episode you're about to hear is one of our top 10 episodes of Defining Dad Bod from the first 100 episodes of the Defining Dad Bod podcast. I hope you find the conversation edifying and practical. And if the spirit of what we discuss here is something that you'd like to engage with more in your own personal health and fitness journey, I invite you to join us in the Defining Dad Bod inner circle. It's a closed Facebook group where we publish exclusive content and actively engage with members of the group over the week in a question and answer sort of way. When I first started the show over a year and a half ago, this was a paid group for patrons only. But now, support for the show is optional. And though many members of the inner circle do decide to support and contribute to the Defining Dad Bod movement, it's not a requirement. We'd love to have you. You can find out more at definingdadbod.com slash inner circle. That's definingdadbod.com slash inner circle. So there's a significant challenge when it comes to addressing the problem of obesity as a whole. The challenge is twofold. One, the science of weight loss is highly generic. If you actually dive into the research, 
and you read a bunch of papers, what you'll find is that there are many different ways that we've gone about trying to address the problem of obesity. In some studies, they've transferred bacteria from obese rats to skinny rats to see that bacteria might actually have a part to play in our large intestinal tract in body composition. There's another study where they cut out all of the carbohydrates from one group and then had another group eat mostly carbohydrates. And in both cases, weight loss was possible if the calorie count was sufficiently low enough. And then you have your pop culture stuff, which is like the biggest loser. And you see people lose hundreds of pounds. What you don't see is that their resting metabolic rate is lower in the long run and that all of them gained their weight back after the show was done. Well, all but one, and I'm not sure what her story is, except that the article in the New York Times did say that she was very strict about her calorie intake even three years after The Biggest Loser. Where things get really convoluted and fall apart is at the level of genetics and at the level of behavior change. The genetic problem is that there is no one diet that works best for anybody. Apparently, we share about 99.9% .9 of our genetic heritage with each other. But that 0.1% is the difference between us. So if you look at your wife, or you look at your kids, or you look at your grandma and grandpa, they're all related to you, but you are very different people in appearance. You're very different people in temperament. You're very different people in taste and disposition and maybe even personality. And so that 0.1% really matters. And that is very relevant when it comes to the genetics of nutrition. You might have people in your life who do really well going vegan, and you have people in your life who do really well with the Atkins diet, and you might be somebody who can eat a pizza and it doesn't really affect you. Whatever the case is, in our society, we're having a really hard time with nailing down what is the right way to do things since everybody's different. And there are all these books out there, The Paleo Solution, or The Blood Sugar Solution, or The Primal Man, or documentaries like What the Health. And all of them have a similar message, which is, this diet really works, you should do it too. And none of them seem to point out that there's a pretty significant difference between one person and another. There's actually a very deep and evolutionary reason for that, but we are not going to jump into that today. The second major problem when it comes to talking about what to do about obesity is that behavior change is at the root of literally anything that you're going to do differently in your life. And so even if you have the perfect answer, the question is, how do you do it? Or how do you get others to do it? As much as we would like to think that we're very rational beings with amazing control over everything that we do, it's just not that way. As a very young trainer of about one or two years of experience, I would sit down with a client, I would talk to them about what it is that they wanted to accomplish, and I would create this elaborate plan over a 12-week span. And like, here's the, here's the workout, here's the nutrition progress, here's the cardiovascular way forward. Here's the perfect amount of macros. Here are some meal plans to give you some ideas. And I would spend hours and hours and hours working on these programs and then I'd present it to the client and they'd be like, yeah, that sounds great. That's awesome. But when the rubber met the road, literally the day after, most of the time they could only make one or two significant changes in the course of a week or two. An example might be the client hasn't been working out. Now we're going to lift weights and do cardio. And I want them to go to the grocery store and prep their veggies and incorporate more protein into each one of their meals and get more sleep and start taking some supplements and do their homework when they're not with their trainer and get 10,000 steps a day and meditate after the workout. Is your head spinning yet? What I didn't understand as a young trainer was that it's not about the perfect program. It's about meeting my client where they're at, finding the changes that are going to make the biggest difference, and honing in on those one or two things until we've got them mostly perfect, and then move on to the next step, the next thing that are going to make the biggest change. 
Because what was really powerful about behavior change is if you could find the one or two things that would make the biggest difference, then about three weeks later, you see some major results and the client's very motivated to continue changing their life going forward. Where we've failed at that as a society is we've taken the young Alex Trainer approach. We go, wow, this diet or this approach is so good. I'm going to do all of this stuff, but I'm only going to do it for 12 weeks so I can go real hardcore toward the thing and not fall off the wagon. <laughs> Whole 30. And what happens is those things work for a short period of time, but in the long run, we really haven't made any lasting, consistent change because we saw this as a temporary thing. Or as my wife likes to say, you looked at diet as a verb, something you do for a short period of time, rather than a noun, which is something that just is. You diet for a time. You can't see my finger quotes, but I put them up in the air. You diet for a time. You do this diet as opposed to consciously making something a part of your diet or consciously making something a part of your lifestyle or consciously cutting something out from your lifestyle. And so as I'm talking today about where we start with overcoming obesity, I want you to think of this as a stair-stepped approach to behavior change. We're going to start easy and things are going to get a little bit more difficult, but a little bit more impactful each time. And the easy stuff we're starting with is the stuff that's going to make the biggest difference. So if you or somebody you know and love are dealing with obesity, if we start with these changes that we talk about, you're going to see results within two to three weeks. It's not going to be super difficult to incorporate, and it's very possible that you'll be able to do it most of the time, forever and ever. And in changing your lifestyle, you'll change your body. The last thing I'll say before introducing what the heck we're actually going to do is that in health and fitness, we're always shooting for what's called the 80-20 rule. When you're creating behavior change, it's important that you shoot for an 80% success rate with a 20% failure rate because you will become what you consistently do. And 80-20 is very realistic and can make a significant difference in you. So if I say, hey, we're going to limit sugar daily, and you're operating by the 80-20 rule, that means one day a week, you'll probably not hit your sugar goal. And that's okay. If six days a week you do, you'll see a huge change in your body, even though you didn't do it perfectly. And in behavior change, that's very important. You need to be able to make an A-plus in your own mind without having to be perfect. Because let's face it, we're human, and being perfect is just impossible. Especially since our health and fitness, our nutrition, our exercise... That's not even close to number one on the priority list, usually. In the sugar example, it might be really important that I celebrate my son's birthday and have cake with him because it's a memory that I really want to have when he turns three. And Alex's sugar advice can go suck it. So as I talk you through what we're going to do to overcome obesity, I want you to incorporate the 80-20 rule at all times. And even if you're not overcoming obesity, this can be a really powerful way to look at your program design. This can be a really powerful way to overcome the question of cheap meals and blah, 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 blah. People say, I fell off the wagon. Here's the thing. If you stay on the wagon 80% of the time and you intentionally get off the wagon and walk beside it 20% of the time, then there will be no falling. You won't skin your elbows and you won't be ashamed of yourself. So in order for this approach to be universal, we have to have something that binds us all together as mammals. And what's really fascinating is if you look across the board, even incorporating behavior change and genetics, one thing actually is common among every single mammal on the planet. And that commonality is our hormone system. Particularly, there are four hormone systems that I'm interested in. And today, we're going to address the very foundational one that affects all of the other systems. The four hormones are this, insulin, cortisol, testosterone and estrogen, and thyroid. Think of it like a pyramid. 
insulin's at the bottom of the pyramid. It's the most important step we can take in overcoming obesity, which is get our insulin system working like it's supposed to. The next step is that cortisol system. We need to get our cortisol system under control and working like it's supposed to. Similarly, the third step is our testosterone and estrogen system. We need to get that working for us rather than against us. And then last but not least is the thyroid step. That's the peak of the pyramid, or we can think of it as the icing on the cake, which we probably won't be eating much of by the time we get to the thyroid step. And before we talk about why insulin is the first step and what we can do about our insulin sensitivity, I want you to notice that usually when it comes to overcoming obesity, the medical world starts with the thyroid. And for our purposes, we're actually going to end with the thyroid. Why is that? There are a lot of complex reasons for this, but by and large, the thyroid gland is significantly affected by the previous three hormone systems. And so simply changing the amount of thyroid hormone in the body doesn't address insulin, doesn't address cortisol, and doesn't address testosterone and estrogen. And so you're just artificially stimulating the thyroid to support metabolism, but you're not addressing the foundational things that are affecting the thyroid gland to lower the metabolism. So what I hope you'll see in this approach is an approach that will address the most foundational and important pieces that are going to get you results first, and then moves on to the next levels that are actually going to affect the metabolism as well. And as we dive into this, I hope you'll also note that addressing insulin is actually pretty simple compared to addressing the thyroid gland. And so it's almost like biology really wanted us to be able to deal with the most important and simplest stuff first, or at least that's the way I like to think about it. <music> All right, Gabriel, thank you for joining me. We're going to be talking about how to help people's insulin today. Insulin is the hormone that keeps blood sugar stable. How's your blood sugar right now? Does it feel high? Does it feel low? Feels a little bit high. Feels a little bit high. Why do you think so? Um, because I can hear it flooding. You can hear the blood sugar flooding you? What did you have this morning with sugar in it? What about blueberries? We're going to talk about insulin. Now, there are four things that people can do to help their insulin today. And I'm going to see what you know about those things, okay? Okay. You're going to give us your best answers? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's start with insulin. Why is insulin the foundation of overcoming obesity, Alex? Well, I'm really glad you asked. If you open a physiology textbook and you turn to chapter 22 or 23, they'll start talking about the problem of obesity. And in their paragraphs, they'll basically say, the reason that we as a population are getting fatter and fatter is because we're eating too much and not exercising enough. But if you go back to chapters 5 or 6, where they're talking about what a lipocyte is, lipocyte is a fat cell, and you look at the paragraph there and you actually read through why fat cells get fat, then what you'll find is that fat cells get fat because an overabundance of insulin. Insulin is the hormone that signals a fat cell to store rather than release fat. I'll say that again. Insulin is the hormone that tells your body to store fat rather than use it. And so even in the same physiology textbook, it'll tell you that people get fat because they eat too much. But fat cells get fat because there's too much insulin around. It's almost like two different people wrote the chapters, which is probably true. So am I saying that calorie balance doesn't matter? No, what I'm saying to you is that if you want the biggest bang for your buck in overcoming obesity, you need to start 
with getting your insulin system working for you rather than against you. And though calories might play a role in that, it's relatively small compared to a few other things that we can be doing in order to balance your insulin system. Now to understand the relationship between blood sugar and insulin a little bit better, I'll post an article in the description of this episode below. For the sake of the ease of listening, I'm just going to dive right into what you can actually do to get your insulin system working for you rather than against you. Two nutrition things and two lifestyle things Small things that'll get you the biggest bang for your buck and help you see results pretty quickly. So first, let's start with the nutrition side of things. Guess what people can do to help their insulin? What? Eat very little sugar every single day. Can you tell me about some things that have sugar in it? Like candy? Uh Uh-huh. Cereal. Cereal, yeah. It like those kind of cereals mm-hmm. that that have those like those marshmallow um cereals. Have you ever had a marshmallow cereal? No, they have they have like um it's not just all cereal, it has like unicorns and stuff. Uh like Lucky Charms? Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. That's what has lots and lots of sugar in it. Yeah, okay. When was the last time you had Lucky Charms? Long, long time ago. <laughs> long, long time ago. I was like four. You were like four? How old are you now? Five and a half. Five and a half? So maybe every six months it's time to have cereal with marshmallows in it. What do you think? That's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well... Uh, That's exactly right. I ask people to keep their added sugars below 40 grams per day. (laughs) 40 grams per day. Do you know what the average person gets in a day? Hmm. 95 grams of sugar. That's what all your friends get? Well, not all my friends, but the average. The average means, like, if you take all of the people in our country and you, you ask them how much sugar they eat, Some people eat a lot of sugar, and some people eat very little sugar. Like that much. Uh Uh-huh, that's right. Yeah, like right down to the floor. But look, this is the average. It's in the middle. It's it's what's between the two of them. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. You haven't learned that much math yet, so you have to add a bunch of numbers, and then you have to divide. Mm Mm-hmm. We're not to divide yet, are we? No. What what math do you know? One plus one, two. (laughs) One plus one, two. Yeah, you know more than that. You've done some good subtraction, too. 100 plus 100 is 200. Oh, okay, there you go. Nice place place value there. And 200 plus 5 is 205. So, do you know what where the sugar comes from for most people? You said candy and cereal. That's actually not where most people get their sugar from. Can you guess where most people get their sugars from? Mm. Okay. Juice and sugary drinks. Yeah, like soda or orange juice. But the things that are healthy is like water. Well, yeah, there's there's just water in here. Like healthy stuff in the water. There's very healthy stuff in my water? It's healthy Uh, for you. It's very good for you. Do you know why water's healthy? Um... Mm-mm. Well, because you're made of mostly water. Did you know that? Like, okay, so I can freeze something? 
you could free no it, it doesn't give you superpowers um it just most of your body has lots of water in it that's why you have to drink water all the time if you don't drink water you dehydrate so if you know that most people are getting way too much sugar and most of it's coming from juice and sugary drinks what advice would you give people to help them with their sugar healthy food and healthy water healthy food and healthy water do they need to be drinking sugary drinks and juice all the time no but that's for a treat for them that, it, for for them doing very hard work very good that's exactly right that's one of the times when you should have some sugar is when you're going to do some very hard work and you want your body to recover well high five nice job i'm very impressed Nutritionally, there are two things that are going to make the biggest impact on your insulin system. The first is the amount of sugar that you're consuming every day. Now, you've probably read that carbohydrates are bad and carbohydrates are good, and it's a very confusing world around carbohydrates. For me specifically, I want us to hone in on the concept of sugar. You can take just about any food product, flip it over and look at the nutrition label on the side, and look at the grams of sugar. If you're trying to get your insulin system under control, then you need to limit the total number of grams of sugar that you're consuming in a day. Now, the American Heart Association actually has a recommendation with regard to sugar, and theirs is related to actual cardiovascular fitness, since high sugar intake has also been correlated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And so they say for deconditioned women, 27 grams or less is your allotment for the day. And for deconditioned men, 35 grams or less is your allotment for the day. Now, given that I've already given you the homework to go exercise three days a week, I'm actually going to say that across the board, you're going to do pretty well if 80% of the time you can get 40 grams of sugar per day or less. So habit number one, as you're journaling your food, I want you to start recording how many grams of sugar you consumed. Again, I'm not really concerned about the number of calories. What I'm concerned about is how many of those grams of food you ate today were actually from sugar. For this reason, many of my clients, when they first start working with me, call me the sugar Nazi because in the first four weeks of working together, I have them counting their sugar every single day and shooting me a text with how many grams of sugar they ate that day. Might sound kind of silly, but when you start paying attention, you'll be surprised at where sugar's hiding. Things like your coffee ketchup, and even your Greek yogurt have lots of sugar hiding in them, and you'd be surprised at how quickly that adds up. One of my clients was horribly surprised when her health food, quote-unquote, vanilla Greek yogurt had 17 grams of sugar in one little cup. She was like, holy crap, Alex, that's almost half of my sugar in a day. And I was like, holy crap, you're right. You should probably not eat that anymore. And now she eats plain Greek yogurt and adds her own blueberries to it. Great fix to the problem. I will also say that you can't simply cut out sugar by going sugar-free. If you're a person who likes to drink Coke, for instance, which is like 40 grams of sugar by itself, you can't just switch to Diet Coke and expect that to make a difference. What really stinks about sugar additives is even though they don't count as grams of sugar necessarily, they still cause an insulin response. And so you might be trading sugar for something that doesn't have any calories, but still doesn't help your insulin system. So things like sucralose, aspartame, xylitol, if those artificial sweeteners are actually in your food as well, then your attempt to cut out grams of sugar isn't going to really yield many results for your insulin system. So if you're drinking a Coke, replace it with water, not Diet Coke. 
So that's number one. Start counting your sugar, and whether you're male or female, if you're exercising regularly, then I want you to keep that number below 40 grams, and if you do that six out of seven days a week, then you're in a really good spot. And number two under nutrition is you want to increase your fiber intake. All right. The third thing that people can do to help them with their blood sugar is to eat enough fiber. Do you know what fiber is? Stuff that can help your body. (laughs) That's right. You know where fiber is mostly? In fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds. Seeds? Seeds, yeah. Like sunflower seeds or pumpkin seeds. Oh, I love pumpkin pie. You do love pumpkin pie, but that's not fiber. But pumpkins have fiber in them. Pumpkins have fiber, but but pumpkin pie doesn't have a lot of fiber. But the pumpkin pie has pumpkin inside of pie. You know, that is logic that some people use to justify desserts. So let me give you an idea of this, okay? (laughs) If If you had a pumpkin and you ate it with a spoon, that would be lots of fiber. But pumpkin pie is not just pumpkin. It's a little bit of pumpkin and a lot of milk. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And a lot of sugar. And a little bit of eggs. Okay. Oh, eggs. Eggs is good for you. Eggs is good for you. Say eggs are good for you. Eggs are good for you. That's right. Now, eggs, there's only two eggs in the whole pie. You eat one egg for breakfast, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you eat two. I eat three. Duh. Man, I, mean, I, got, I got some muscles I got to keep growing. I mean, you got some muscles too, that's for sure. See, I got to keep up with you. That's right. If I don't eat enough eggs in the morning, you're going to beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> Someday, huh? <laughs> I wish you guys could see his look right now. He really wants to beat me up. How old do you think you're going to have to be before you can beat me up? Oh, like 10, maybe. Like 10? You think you're going to beat me up when you're 10? And 6, because I'll have some good muscles. At... <laughs> I can't wait to show you. I'm very excited. You know what my guess is? I can kick you, fa- kick you in the face so hard. You want to try? All right, we'll, we'll, hold this, we'll hold this fight for later. I think you're going to need to be like 16 before you can beat me up. Yeah, right. Okay, you're on. I've got the clock ticking. 11 years from now. How much do you want to bet? How much money do I win if I'm right? 600 and 535. dollars $600 Do you have that kind of money in your piggy bank? No. Oh, well, who's going who's gonna to pay me if I win? 10 I'll pay you $10. $10. <laughs> All right, that's good. With the time value of money, that's like 40 bucks. So now you'll have more money. All right, so fiber. Fiber helps people's blood sugar do this. 
stays nice and straight rather than doing this, which like, is really hard on their body. Like zoom, zoom, zoom. That's exactly right. Yeah. If somebody doesn't get enough fiber in their day, then their blood sugar goes zoom up and then zoom down and then zoom up and then zoom down. Like up, down, up, down, up, down, up, 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 up. Could you imagine feeling like that? Like you're really energetic and then you're so tired. And then you're really energetic and then you're so tired. Yeah. It's like a pattern. Yeah. I call it the blood sugar roller coaster. And it's not a good thing. It sounds like fun, but it's not fun. People feel like garbage when they ride the roller coaster. What? So, if you know fiber is in fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds, what advice would you give people to help their blood sugar? Um, fruits and vegetables. Because vegetables are have some protein inside of them. No, no. Well, they do, but we're talking about fiber. Fiber. Yeah, fiber. Yeah, pro- so I, I would give I'll give them fruit and vegetables and all the things that are healthy because then they can be so healthy that they'll live. Very good. That's right. That's what we want. We want people to be very healthy and happy so that they can live great lives. Yes. Yeah. Before they die. Before they die. <laughs> we all do eventually. It happens. Well, I'm going to have a long time until I'm dead. For males, we're looking at about 30 grams per day, and for females, we're looking at at least 20 grams per day. Well, why fiber? Fiber actually keeps our blood sugar nice and stable throughout the day, which keeps our insulin from spiking and dropping throughout the day. More specifically, fiber has a slowing effect on the digestion of carbohydrates. And so when you consume fiber, it keeps you from breaking down your carbohydrates really quickly so that they don't go into the bloodstream, spike your blood sugar, and then cause a subsequent spike in insulin. Now, don't just go out and buy a fiber supplement. They can be helpful, but that's not where you should be getting the majority of your fiber. The best way to get fiber in your diet is to actually start incorporating more veggies in your world. Things like spinach avocado, artichokes, asparagus, I mean the list goes on, or olives. If you're an olive lover, like my wife and son, who think I'm crazy because they eat olives off of their fingers and I can't stand them, but you know what, teach their own. Increasing your fiber intake can significantly help your insulin system. It has a few other effects like keeping you regular and keeping you fuller longer so that you're not hungry again after two hours without eating. But in conjunction with lowering your sugar intake, increasing your fiber intake will make huge strides in balancing your insulin system. And as your insulin starts to come down because of your nutrition habits changing, you definitely will see significant weight loss What's interesting about that is you'll start burning fat as a fuel source, which is pretty powerful, but additionally, you'll lose a lot of water because chronically high insulin can be pretty inflammatory. And so I've seen clients who start to get really serious about their sugar and their fiber and in two weeks lose somewhere between eight and 12 pounds. Now don't get your hopes up super high. Everybody's body responds a little bit differently, but I promise you, if you've been consuming too much sugar and you've been consuming too little fiber... These small changes will actually make a significant difference, and that's very motivating. So now that we've covered sugar and fiber on the nutrition side of things, let's talk about the lifestyle side of things. So to change your lifestyle in order to start getting your insulin system to work for you rather than against you, the first thing I want you to do is make activity a part of your day.
Activity. Yeah. Like activities you can do, like draw some cool pictures. <laughs> See, that's what they call the activity in school. But that's not mm-hmm. that's not what I'm talking about. Activity mm-hmm. means activity means getting your steps in a day. You know how steps. mom and I go for walks and so how can, and that's so you can get like healthy that's stuff to, keeps, from the sun. Oh yeah, we get vitamin D from the sun. And when you and I talk about testosterone later. Not today, but later, we will talk about vitamin D because that's very important. Yeah. But today we're talking about insulin. Remember, blood sugar. So we have to get enough steps in a day because that teaches our body to use fat as a fuel source rather than always relying on carbohydrates. Check. Check. So how do you get activity in a day? What do you do to stay active? With my baby brother. Yeah, you guys run all around the house <laughs> all the time. And and when the pallet's out, we like slam our faces into the pallet and yeah, yeah. jump off of that. Like, oh, ah, <laughs> yeah. You guys, you guys think that's a blast. What about the trampoline? Yes. Oh yes! And I love bouncing with you because it all can go so high. Yeah. The you... highest I ever went was like five. When I was five, I was like, boom. Oh, when you were five, you went the highest ever. Yeah. How many feet did you go up? Like 25. You went 25 feet in the air? <laughs> How did you not break anything on the way down? That would be like as tall as our tree. I, I didn't, I haven't, I haven't even broke my wrist. You have not. You know what's funny is your wrist hurts right now, but it's not because of the trampoline. You fell out of a car. No, it's a truck. Okay, you fell out of, out of, out of Jeepaw's truck. <laughs> but, ha, take that, because it wasn't the yeah. trampoline. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about running? Do you run with me sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good so way to get activity. So, yeah, so we can like get our. That's why you can get our steps, and I can burn some of my energy. Yeah, we. But guess what? What? You also can burn your energy by playing. That's so like, true. When you when you like play, you have to like walk, and that and it helps you get steps that's right yeah like uh throwing a frisbee or playing oh. soccer yeah so oh wait i have a football that one of my friends gave us uh-huh. all my friends have it all of your friends have that football you brought from school mm-hmm. sweet so if you throw that back and forth you'll definitely get some steps right yes i have like more than you you have more steps than me yeah you're probably right you're probably right you never stop moving this is very hard for you to sit still like this isn't it because <laughs> I do not like staying, sitting still. <laughs> Nobody does. Well, some people do, but you don't. So, uh, nope. so if you were going to help people get more activity, what would you tell them is a good way to do that? Run and play. Run and play? What if they can't run? What if their feet and knees hurt too bad to run? Uh... Could they walk instead? No, because their knee, foot and knees hurt. <laughs> and I don't even know how. Not sitting. Mm, well, or I could just do this while I'm watching a movie. <laughs> you can march in place while watching a movie? Yes. <laughs> or do yoga. Oh, yoga is a very good call. That's great activity.
If you don't already have one, a activity tracker can be really helpful because you guessed it. I'm going to tell you that you need 10,000 steps per day in order to get your insulin system on track. What the heck does activity have to do with anything? Well, highly active people, 10,000 steps or more per day, actually have significantly high insulin sensitivity. And activity tends to put us more in a state of fat burning than sugar burning. The longer you sit, the more likely you are to tap into your carbohydrate stores rather than your fat stores. And the name of the game with insulin is burn fat as a fuel source. Burn fat as a fuel source. If we want to get our insulin on board with us and overcome obesity in this sense, we need to be active enough to stimulate fat burn for our body. You're a smart person. There's no magic wand I can wave that's going to help you get 10,000 steps. You can park further away. You can take more walk breaks. But in any case, if you're trying to add activity to your day, the simplest way I've found is to compete with people. You can get really high tech with these activity monitors these days. Somewhere between $100 and $200 will get you one that connects to an app and connects you to a social sphere of people and will coach you walking across New York in a week or something like that. Or you can get real low tech. And pedometers can cost like 3 bucks and you can clip it on your hip and you can try to get 10,000 steps a day. Cost does not have to be an issue when it comes to analyzing and being accountable to this whole activity thing. However you get it done, you need to get 10,000 steps a day. I've even gone so far as to say to people, I would rather you get your 10,000 steps today rather than get 500 steps today and go to the gym and work out. Whoa, that's a pretty bold statement, Alex. Just 10,000 steps matters more than the workout? Uh, Yes. There was a fascinating study where they compared active people to sedentary people, and specifically they compared the population that exercised. So there were sedentary people who still went to the gym three times a week, and there were active people who didn't go to the gym. And what they found is that in this longitudinal study, active people actually outlived sedentary people who worked out. So here's the thing about overcoming obesity. Nobody looks good in a pine box. And so I want you around for a nice long time so we can overcome obesity together here and live a nice high quality life. So 80% of the time, again, six out of seven days a week, I need you getting 10,000 steps per day. And however you need to go about life in order to make that happen, do it. And if you're listening to the sound of my voice and you're like, okay, Alex, do it, got it, but I'd really like to hear some people's best practices for how they stay active, you can post a question like that to our Patreon page or even our Facebook page. And I'm sure other listeners would be happy to support you in getting more active. And besides, it'd probably be nice to hear from somebody else for a change, right? Then the last simple thing that I'd like you to do on the lifestyle side of things to get your insulin working for you rather than against you is to get hydrated. The next subject is water. One of the things that people can do to help their blood sugar regulation is to stay hydrated. That is, with to drink water. enough water. Yeah, with water. Like, like a, a half of a third. A half of a third? So we've got, can you see this? It says 1.5 liters. That's how much is in this bottle of water. Well, that's like uh, how many pounds is it? How many pounds is it? That's a good question. When it, oh no, it was all the way full. I don't know. It's it's probably like it's probably at least five to six pounds. That's a good question, buddy. Watch. Here, look. How many ounces? Twenty. No, no, no. That's that's the wrong number. That's Fifty. Beck's word. Fifty. Fifty-seven. Fifty point seven. Yeah, that's fifty point seven. <laughs> and what is this thing? Spring. Spring water. Alright, so check it out. You ready? 
Guess how much water I think that people should be drinking. And it's not just me. This is a recommendation. What? It's half of their body weight in ounces. <laughs> so how much do you weigh? How many pounds? Do you know? Uh, 40. 40, that's right. So you need half of that in ounces. Do you know what half of 40 is? Huh. Do you know? You want to guess? Uh... What plus what is 40? <laughs> uh... 20 plus 20 is 40. So <laughs> 20 is half of your weight. So you would need about this much water every day on this bottle. It's a lot, <laughs> like, huh? Like past this thing, this like whatever that thing is. That's right, yeah. Do you think you could drink that all at once? Imagine me drinking this with holding my breast, drinking this whole water bottle. I feel like you would throw up. <laughs> and I couldn't even breathe. No, you wouldn't be able to breathe. Um, so, but you wouldn't have to drink all this. You wouldn't have to drink all this at once. This is all day long. That's how much water you need to drink. Do you know how much water I need to drink? Hmm. I weigh 165 pounds. <laughs> That's I enough to paint my... Break your what? Uh, swing. That's enough to break your swing. <laughs> if this whole, the whole family was in it. Oh, yeah. If we put our whole family in your swing, it would definitely break the chains. So, um, I weigh, I weigh 165 pounds and that in half is 82 and a half. So I would have to drink almost two whole bottles for in a what? day for the water I need to drink in a day. But do you know why that's important for blood sugar? Huh. I'm going to tell you a secret. A lot of people don't know this. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Listen very close. So in our body, we have fat, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Like lots. Yeah. And, and if our body is going to use fat, guess what it needs to combine with the fat so it can burn it as energy? What? Water. <laughs> A lot of people don't know that. Say triglyceride. Triglyceride. There you go. Plus H2O. Plus H2O. Equals. Equals. ATP. ATP. Do you know what that means? It means fat plus water equals energy. A lot of people don't know that. That's part of the beta oxidation process. So if you get dehydrated, you're very bad at burning fat as a fuel source, and then you have to burn carbs because you don't have enough water. Now I'm drinking water so I, can, I won't get dehydrated. That's exactly right. And so do you need to burn fat or carbs as a fuel source when you're well hydrated? Energy. <laughs> nice. I'm going to ask you to drink 100 ounces or more of water every single day. Hydrated? What the heck does that have to do with insulin, Alex? I'm really glad you asked. There are two major things that water does to help us with our insulin system. First, in the chemical equation to break down triglycerides, H2O is actually a very important part of beta oxidation. Whoa, 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 Alex, this isn't chemistry class. I know, I know. What I'm saying is if you drink water, you increase your body's ability to burn fat as a fuel source. If you're dehydrated, your body literally at the chemical level has a hard time breaking down fat. So 
Don't miss out on good fat burn because you're dehydrated. The second reason I want you to drink enough water is because when you're dehydrated, oftentimes you feel an energy lull. This happens to a lot of people around 2 or 3 p.m. in their workday. They feel a little, oh, I'm, I'm kind of over it. What sucks is that they are likely just dehydrated and need to drink some more water, but instead they go reach for an energy drink or some kind of food-based pick-me-up, and that's why Honey Buns and Monster outsell red bell peppers every single time. And so by drinking enough water, you'll keep your energy level nice and consistent through the afternoon so that you know the difference between low energy and real hunger cues. So are you telling me I need to go buy that crazy water bottle that tells me when to drink water? No, that thing's like a hundred bucks and you're a smart person. You can drink enough water. I had a student of mine come up with a pretty fantastic, I thought, ingenious and low-tech way of keeping track of how much water she drank. And so she kept a 20-ounce water bottle with her and she put five rubber bands at the bottom of the water bottle. And every time she finished the water bottle, she would move a rubber band to the top of the water bottle. That's one, four more to go. Two, three more to go. Three, you get the picture. But in that way, she created a low-tech way to keep track of how much water she was drinking in a day. That rhymed. And I guess I'm reading too much Dr. Seuss lately. Hashtag teaching toddlers to read. I don't think that'll be trending anytime soon. But regardless of how you do it, just like the 10,000 steps, 100 ounces of water a day is going to make a significant impact on your insulin system, help you stay hydrated, help you to tap into fat as a fuel source, and help you have consistent energy throughout the day. That's not so hard now, is it? I'm not asking the sun, moon, and stars of you. I'm telling you that if we can count your sugar and keep it below 40 grams, if we can count your fiber, men above 30, women above 20, let's do veggies, not a supplement, get 10,000 steps per day, challenge somebody in your life and kick their butt at this 10,000 steps thing, and drink 100 ounces of water, whether it's the whole $100 water bottle thing or some simple rubber bands that keep you on track, these four things will make a significant difference in keeping your insulin system nice and stable, reducing the amount of insulin in your body, and keeping your blood sugar from spiking randomly during the day, and therefore keeping your body in a state of fat burn rather than fat storage. I can almost hear you saying, wow, that sounds too simple, Alex. Are there other things I should be doing? Well, there are other things you can be doing, but let's master these things first. And when we come to part three of overcoming obesity and we dive into cortisol, then we'll dive into the system that is your fight or flight stress management response to the world. And we'll talk about things like sleep and meditation and supplementation, and it's going to be a party. But until then, let's get that insulin system working for us rather than against us. Let's burn fat as a fuel source rather than storing fat that we don't need to. And let's have some consistent energy so that we can be productive and positive people while we're working on this overcoming obesity thing. All right, so we're almost done. We talked about four things that could help people control their blood sugar. Do you remember the four things? Uh, fiber. Very good. Blood sugar. Sugar. sugar, very good. Water. Water. The last thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> the last thing we talked about. Fiber, sugar, water, and... Running. Activity. <laughs> activity. Not the kind that you do at school. The activity that is physical. Uh-huh. Okay. And so if they can do those things, if they can limit sugar, increase their fiber, drink enough water and get good activity every day, then their blood sugar will be nice and stable. They'll burn fat well as a fuel source, and they'll have great and energy. And it's like, a, it's like a stable house. Like a stable house instead of a roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm.
because riding the blood sugar roller coaster feels like garbage. Don't want to do that. The real roller coaster, it's fun. The real roller coaster is a lot of fun, but it's not fun if that's what you did all day long. That would be rough on your body. Do you have any questions about insulin? Mm -mm. No? Feel pretty good about it? You understand it pretty well? Mm -hmm. You ready to take a test? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell anybody anything else before we're done? Good luck with your insulin. Bye. Remember to live by the 80-20 rule and to feel free to reach out to our resources on Facebook in order to get some best practices from people who either have the same questions as you or are rocking this thing. This has been Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. Until next time, guys, kick butt, take names. The free practical advice and conversations here remain unbought and unbiased thanks to the support of listeners just like you. If this episode has been helpful to you, please share it with somebody in your life who you know it will benefit. Then subscribe to the podcast and leave us a raving review to tell others what value Defining DadBot has brought to your health and fitness journey. And finally, if you want more Defining DadBot, consider joining our online community. We send a lot of free perks and resources your way, and I, Coach Alex, go live every month to talk through our listeners' health and fitness questions to make the practical science of this show applicable to everyday life. Everyone's welcome, and we'd love to have you. For more information about joining the inner circle or becoming a supporter of the Defining DadBot podcast, go to definingdadbot.com slash inner circle. That's definingdadbot.com slash inner circle.